Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. Again, I'm one of the leaders here at the church. I just want to thank you all for coming. If you have a Bible with you, one of the things that we love to do here is study scripture. And we've been working through a book in the Bible. It's called First Peter. If you don't know where First Peter is, I'm here to help you. Okay, so you don't feel any shame by not knowing where the books in the Bible are. It's towards the end. You've heard of the book of Revelation probably because there's some crazy stuff happening in that thing. All your friends talk about it. They don't know what it means, but it's in there too. But First Peter is towards the end of that book. So uh, if you want to find First Peter chapter 3, we're going to read a few verses, uh, one through seven. Uh, but before we get there, I want to brag um, a little bit, if that's okay with you guys. So Thursday, I celebrated my 21st wedding anniversary. Is that awesome? Yeah, yeah it's awesome. I married up. So true. I so, It's so true. And um, as I was thinking about um, uh, um, on our anniversary, I was sort of waxing nostalgic to our, our early years of marriage. And I remember in our first starter home and all of that stuff that, that you know, you do when you're first married that you think it's awesome. But looking back, it was pretty janky. Anyone? Right. And if you're in that place, you don't know it's janky, but you will at some point. You'll, you'll know that. But but my father is an incredible handyman. He was always a builder. Do it. Do it himself kind of guy. And in fact, when I was younger, he added a room addition to the house. And, and I'm married into a family. My father-in-law is also very handy and did a lot of construction stuff on, on his own. And, and I had um, no hope, honestly. I watched uh, this old house on PBS. That's all I know about construction. And, and so I, I wanted to be that handyman. So I remember when Stacey and I were first married in our starter home, I, I took it upon myself to change out a light fixture in one of the rooms. And, and it was a ceiling fan, right? So I went like all the way. I went to a ceiling fan, right? And so I installed this thing, and um, I, I, it took three times longer than it probably should have, but I got it done. It was great, right? Um, except when you turned it on, um, it never seemed to go as fast as I thought it should go, even though I pulled it to like the three speed or whatever. It never seemed to go as fast, um, and it, and it kind of wobbled just a little bit every time you turn it on. But my wife was so pleased with my work. Talk about encouraging the underachiever in the room, right? That was me, right? And so it, it, it was just awesome. So fast forward a couple weeks, uh, someone stops by the house. I don't even remember who. doesn't matter who. But they, they look at my ceiling fan as it's doing this thing, right? And it's not even putting out a breeze, but it's on. And, and they said... <laughs> Hey, hey, Jeff, you should probably replace that. And I'm like, that is the new one. I'm, I did this. And, and they, they go to look at it, and they, they realize something's not right, obviously. And they grab a, a chair or something, and they reach up there, and they pull out this, this hard piece of plastic that was sort of stuck in the motor. 
And, and come to find out, here's what I learned, right? Um, okay, this is a tell, I confess. I did not read the instructions, I just started, right? It's a common thing. Um, but step one in the instruction manual, it says take out this hard piece of plastic that's stuck between the motor and the housing that they place in there for shipping so that the motor doesn't rattle around against itself when it's being transported from the factory to the store. And I didn't take that out. And, it, and I'm telling you that story because I know that you and I have had conversations with friends and or family members um, who say things like this. They say, man, if there, if there is a God, if there is a God who created everything, why is this place so screwed up? Why is this place so messed up? Like, if there really was a God, wouldn't he create it differently than it, than it is now? Because this world is filled with tension and turmoil, suffering, pain, sorrow, all of these things. There's, there's um, trouble, discontentment all around us. And, and the argument is this, is like, if God did create it, then why isn't it better than this? And, and what I come to, to understand is like, like the designers and the engineers at the fan factory, right, to just run this metaphor into the ground, right, they built a fan to, to work correctly. They built it to, to run fast and produce the breeze and look cool and all of that stuff. And yet, and yet I, when I installed it, I forgot to remove a piece. There was, there was something foreign that was in that. And the same is true with our world here. See, I need you to understand that. Because when God created everything, that it was perfect and it was good. In fact, if you were to look in your Bibles in the book of Genesis, if you don't know where Genesis is, it's at the other side of your Bible. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it, it tells the story of God creating everything. That God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't need any help. He did it by himself. He created everything, the skies, the sun, the stars, the moon, the oceans, the, the earth. I mean, he put beasts in the field, fish in the sea, birds in the air, and he placed Adam and Eve, the first humans, into that place. And it says, the very last phrase in Genesis chapter 1, it says this. It says that God saw all that he had made, and behold, he says, it was very good. See, we know that this world is not operating the way it's supposed to, because in the Bible it tells us that what God created was, in fact, Good. My argument here is that I think something's wedged itself into this place. If we keep reading in Genesis chapter 2, we see a, another retelling of God creating, creating Adam and Eve. And the last phrase in, in chapter 2 says this, that both Adam and Eve were naked, check it, and unashamed in the garden that God had created. Now, this is not a, a sexual... Um, statement here. What, what, what we're learning here from these phrases is that, that, that everything was running exactly the way God intended it to run. This was a place of beauty, a place of bounty, completely unmarred by sin until one day sin entered the world. This is that wedge piece that's kind of made its way into our world. This is why our world seems a, a little off kilter. It's because of the effects of sin. So how did sin enter the world? How did sin come into the place, the very good thing that God had created? Well, it came in through a person. We call him the devil or Satan. Genesis chapter 3 tells us where Genesis 1 and 2 was a picture of paradise. Everything was good that God has created. And in Genesis chapter 3, we learn that this was, in fact, paradise lost. As the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 comes in, this is Satan or the devil, and he tempts Adam and Eve to disobey God. 
This Satan or devil character we read about all through scripture. In fact, in the book of Revelation, he's called the great dragon or the red dragon. He's also called the accuser of the children of God. He's called the father of all lies. He's called the accuser. He's, he's likened to a lion who wanders the earth to and fro looking for those that he might devour. He, in fact, is a, hear me, he's a destroyer. And so what the serpent does, what Satan does, he comes to Adam and Eve and he looks at this, this tree that God had forbidden them to eat from. And he begins to tempt them. He says, no, 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 you should eat from this tree. You should because then you'll be like God. They, for whatever reason, stopped trusting God in that moment. They thought God was holding out on them. And so they eat from the tree and in that single, sorrowful, disobedient moment, sin rushes into the world. And now everything is off kilter. It says this, that through that one foolish and rebellious act, eating the fruit that God had forbidden, Adam and Eve lost their innocence. They lost their dignity. They would lose their home as God would push them out of the garden. And most importantly, is they lost their perfect relationship with God himself. A separation was birthed in that moment. And, and here's the reality for all of us in the room. And so did we. So did we. <coughs> Romans chapter 5, it's Paul the Apostle writing these words, but he says um, that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death followed sin, and death for all because all have sinned. We know now as our, our fathers and mothers, our first fathers and mothers, Adam and Eve, because they sinned against God, we have now inherited through them this sinful nature. And so now our world operates in the desire to, to, to serve our lusts and our pleasures and, and all of these things that are birthed from sinful places instead of righteousness and holy places that God originally intended. So when we look at the world around us and we see it's a little off kilter, it doesn't seem to be working the way it's supposed to be. Stop, hear me, stop. Let's all stop blaming God for it. Let's put the blame where it needs to be. It's on the devil who tempted Adam and Eve to sin. The, the blame is, in fact, on sin. God didn't do this. Sin did this. But there's hope. There's a lot of hope. And his name is Jesus. See, Jesus is the son of God. And, and Jesus comes to earth, right? We're going to be celebrating that in a few weeks, right? Merry Christmas. Right? Yay! Really, by a show of hands, this isn't an official poll, but how many people are full on Christmas songs on their iPod right now or anything? Right? All right, I'm with you. Heck yes. I've been in. I've been in for like two weeks. I'm just saying. I'm in it. My daughters, I drive them to school, and they're like, stop it with the Christmas carols. <laughs> like, you don't understand. This is amazing. I love this time of year. Anyways, I don't, I don't want to digress here. So, so, so Jesus comes into the world, and he does something that you and I could never possibly do. The Bible tells us that he lives a sinless life, that he was never disobedient. He was perfect in all his ways. And then he goes to a cross, a Roman cross, where they, they crucify him. And the symbol is this. The symbolism is this, is that, is that um, all the sins of the world are going to be placed upon the Son of, of God himself, Jesus Christ. That he gives his Son away, that, that Jesus lays on a cross. Right? And, and the weight of the world's sin lands upon him, and he dies. They throw him in a grave, but because, this is, this is the great part, guys, his birth is awesome, but it's not enough. I just want you to know that. 
this next thing is where it gets real good. But on the third day, because Jesus had never sinned, death has no authority to hold on to him. The grave, this is beautiful, it spits him out. Right? He, he's raised from the dead. Sin has no hold on him. Death has no hold on him. The grave has no hold on Jesus. And now, by grace through faith, we believe in that, and we too have overcome sin, death, and the grave. All right, we're going to take an offering and call it church. How's that? <laughs> this is why the world feels weird. This is why Peter, and we're going to get to Peter in a minute if you're asking. He said, Peter, I don't know what's going on. This is why Peter is writing a letter. See, if you've been coming for a while, you know this, that Peter's writing a letter. He's addressing Christians in Asia um, 2,000 years ago. And he's writing to them because he understands this moment, that there are Christians living amongst non-believers, right? Much like our world today. Would you agree that there are Christians? How many people, um, all of your coworkers are Christians? I work in a church, and I don't know if I can say that. I'll be honest with you. That's a joke. But I secretly wonder about Joe. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, of course. We, we live amongst non-believers. And so, so Peter writes this letter to the Christians in this area because he, he knows there's a persecution, there's a suffering, there's some things that's going to take place in the world around them, and he wants to encourage them in this thing. That, that we have been saved through Christ, not by our own works. And because of that, because we're living from that vantage point, we can then suffer long around all the, I'll say it, idiots and morons around us some days. They don't know. They've been blinded to this reality. That very thing that they're chasing after, they don't know that it's birthed out of a sinful desire in their heart. They don't know that Christ has come to set them free from those things. They don't know any of this stuff, but we know this. And so Peter addresses this. He talks to the Christians, says, look, you act differently in these places. You do things differently. And, and in fact, Peter goes into a place today that's so personal to us. He talks about the marriage relationship. Uh-oh. The husbands are like, where's the back door, I'm saying. <laughs> the marriage relationship. He talks about husbands and wives. And there's, there's, a significant, there's a significant piece of this understanding that we have been released from sin that can then lay itself into our marriage relationship and it can could, it could make all the difference in our, in our marriage. A couple things before we read this passage out of 1 Peter. Um, I know this. There are single people in the room. Hi. You look awkward all of a sudden. <laughs> are you talking about me? <laughs> yes, we're talking about you. I want you to know that, that you might not be married right now, but I'm here to tell you that a lot of these principles will apply in your life, even now, and they for sure will apply to your life when and if you decide to get married. I think the call to be single can be a godly call. I think we see that in scripture. And, and if I were you and single, I wouldn't sweat it, man. Just follow Jesus. Take, take your single time now to, to, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, to know Jesus, to, 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 um, to go crazy for the things of God. Because when you get married and have kids, life gets busy. So all, all the parents say, yes, amen, right? Woohoo! It does. So don't waste your singleness on waiting for the one 
go to Jesus. He's the one. All right, all right. Secondly, I know there are people in, in here that are married and things are going great, right? On the outside, <laughs> you faked most of us most of the time. But if you would admit it, that there are some things that are challenging to you, that this passage will speak to you. This, this will be helpful for you. And so I think all of this will benefit all of us. So that being said, um, here we go. First Peter chapter three, and we'll read verses one through seven. He says, likewise, sorry, likewise, <laughs> wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be merely external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which, I love this, in God's sight is very, very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you, wives, Christian wives, he's saying, you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, verse 7 Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, immediately, some of the ladies in the room are saying, why do we get six verses? <laughs> All right? I know the tension, man. I get it. I get it. And the guys only get one verse. To be honest, we can't remember much more than one thing at a time. So. <laughs> right? You know it. I'm not lying to you, right? <laughs> it's true. It's because you're smarter than us. Stop rubbing it in. I'm just saying. This would be, and I'm, it's, uh, it, it's sorrowful even to say this, but this is antithetical to how the world would tell us to live our lives. This is the opposite of what all those magazines at the grocery store tell you. This is the opposite of the blogs that you'll find on the, the internet will tell you how to live your marriage. I get that. I understand that completely. But there's moments when we just have to say, maybe the world, <laughs> big, big capital maybe, maybe the world in its sinful desires and lusts has it wrong. Maybe, right, we're in church, we can say these things. Maybe God's word actually has it right. And so we have to check our presuppositions, our ideals on what we think this looks like. We have to, we have to check this, this idea that, um, well, you don't, you don't know my husband. I, I can't submit to him. You don't, you don't know the, th okay, all right. So before we go any further, what I'd like to do is pray for us. Is that okay? So I'll pray. We'll ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help us understand this. Um, we'll do a few more things. We'll take communion. We'll sing a few more songs. And then we'll go eat tacos. Amen? <laughs> All right. After the next service. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for everyone who's come. 
We don't believe in accidents or coincidences. Lord, we believe that you are a sovereign Lord who orchestrates many things on this earth. And so if there are people here wondering why on earth they're here, I pray that you teach them today why they're here. I pray that as I have studied that you've been working things over in my life, um, that you would begin to work things over in the lives of the people here. We pray that the Holy Spirit would open our minds, open our eyes and our ears, and we would hear the truth from God's word. And it would, it would help us. It would be beneficial to us. It would not just be information, but it would help us to, to be transformed. And for the men in the room, I pray, God, help the men in the room hear these things. Help us. And for the, for the ladies, for the women, I pray that, that you would help them hear it as well. Speak to each person in the way that you can. We say these things only in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. This idea of submission or being subject to your husbands, um, Peter Let's skip that for a minute. Just re keep reading. Likewise, wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands so that there, there's a purpose behind this. Peter helps us see this. Again, th we're Christians living in, in a, a non-Christian world and people around us are non-Christians. And he says that many of you wives might also be married to non-Christian people. And then, then your marriage takes on a whole evangelistic or missional purpose. And listen to what he says. Live with your husbands, subject yourselves to your husbands, so that even if they don't obey the word, if they're not Christians, if they don't believe in the word of God, that they might be one, right? They might be one back to God, right, by your conduct, by your behavior. Not in the words that you say, that you're not going to be argumentative, you don't want to be combative, but you just want to, you want to submit yourself to them, and by your actions, they'll see that, that God means something to you. That you're willing to even serve that guy, right, who lays in the bed next to you, even when he's, he's boneheaded sometimes. Hello? <laughs> it's fine. That's, that's a demon. It happens every now and again. In Jesus' name. Phew, he's gone. All right, so we'll move on. But I, I want us to hear that that's really the push here. And this is in, in all things. When, when you were here last week and Joe was talking about um, we would subject ourselves to the, the man-made institutions, that we would submit ourselves to the, the governors and the wicked emperors like Nero, who was murdering Christians for sport. That when we learn to suffer like slaves to cruel masters, that when we do these things, we're actually entering into the things of Christ. When Christ suffered, this is from last week, but when Christ suffered, he didn't push back. When he was punched, he didn't hit back. When he was spit upon, he didn't spit back. When he was reviled, he did not revile back. We are joining into Christ in his sufferings when we do some of those things. And the same is true for us, for the wives, when they sub subject themselves to their husbands, even when they don't deserve it. I know it, dude. I know it. And, and you need to hear this, this idea of submission or being subject to. Um, first off, men hear this. There, there is not a mandate. Hear me. There is not a mandate anywhere in Scripture that tells you to make sure that she submits to you. We don't have that authority. We don't walk around with a hammer saying, but the Bible says you submit. We don't do that. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit alone leads the women to submit. It's not our responsibility, is it? 
men, is it? <laughs> Nod your head and I'll move on. <laughs> yes, this is an issue of free will for her. She chooses to do this out of her reverence for Christ, for the Lord's sake, as Peter would say last week. So, so we know this to be true. And, and the whole purpose is that some of these men who are non-Christians might become Christians. I love how he uses the words that they might be one. Because there is a battle. Christ beats sin, death, and the grave. And when you convert into Christianity, when you become a believer, then you too win over sin, death, and the grave, as, it was, as we already talked about. And there's a winning of this person back unto the Lord. And they see your conduct as respectful and pure. That you're not a, a arguer or a nagger, to use that word. And he continues talking to the ladies here. There's something that the Lord looks at, and he goes, don't let your adorning, right? Adorning is just this way to make oneself beautiful. Like when you adorn your house, you try to make your house more beautiful. When you adorn yourself, you're trying to make yourself more beautiful. What Peter is addressing now is, don't let your adorning be merely external by the, the braiding of your hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, or uh, skinny jeans, or the clothing that you wear. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the girls wear these days. I have no idea. Not, not that those things are wrong. I need you to hear that. In fact, I, I actually, in my studies this week, I found out that there were many Christians back in this day, many of them in, in this region of the world actually wore wigs. You know what the favorite color of wig was for the women back then? You can guess. It's blonde. It's true. Blondes had more fun even back then. <laughs> But that he's not saying those things are wrong in and of themselves, but he's saying if your beauty is only rooted in these external things, then you're missing an opportunity here. That there's something that the Lord looks at. Check this out. He says, um, but in your adorning, let it be hidden as the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is precious to him. Okay, so this is basically how I work out sermons in, in my world. Um, I'll read the passage a week or two before I sort of ruminate on it. That just means I think about it, right? If I run across stuff on the internet or whatever, it kind of speaks to me. I'll read a, 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 a boatload. I almost said crap ton. I just did. I said crap ton. I read a whole bunch. <laughs> oh, sorry. Forgive me. I got an extra hour of sleep. Um, I read a whole lot of commentaries. Right? What other smarter people than me have said. I look into scripture. I pray. I do all these things. And then circumstances in my life begin to make the scriptures come alive. So I want to share a story with you. And I do so reservedly because I, I'm, I'm trying to be careful with what I say about people. This story is about me, so I feel like I can share it. Um, I have two teenage daughters, 14 and 15. They're wonderful. I love them to death. Um, I drive them to school every day, not because I have to, because I get to. I love it. I make hot breakfast for them every day. My kids don't eat cereal for breakfast. If your kids do, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but this is the only meal that we get to sit down as a family and eat a hot meal together. We go so crazy. So every day is hot breakfast. I drive them to school. One day my daughter comes down the stairs and she looks good. I mean, typically she's t-shirt and sweatshirt kind of girl, right? And I'm fine with that. And these words flew out of my mouth because she's got this really cool necklace, skinny jeans, and she looked makeup and all the lip gloss, right? I was like, wow. I said, I said, baby, you look really pretty today. And then it, it checked me. Because here's what I'm doing as a father now. I'm beginning to reinforce what the world is saying, that her beauty is only, uh-oh, 
You, are you following where this went? You ever hit your knees in the kitchen and prayed that God would forgive you? You ever done that? You should do it. See, I have to, I have to remind my daughters that, that, that they are fighting against what the world says is beautiful, and I'm telling them the outward adorning of her body made her look beautiful today. So I, okay, I'm just saying, as I grow and learn how to be a better dad, to be more like Jesus in my own family, I've got to help them see that they're beautiful even when they're not wearing lip gloss. Aren't they? Husbands, look at me. Aren't they? Dads, look, yes, they're beautiful even without those things. In fact, there's this idea that God's looking at the preciousness of their heart anyways. Why would we look at anything outside of that? If you only marry someone based on their looks in 20 years, <laughs> my wife could tell you things change, right? There's a running joke when my wife and I first got married. I, I said, well, I'm married now. I guess I can get fat and bald. And she's like, I guess I can too. <laughs> I said, whoa. <laughs> no, Right? All right, all right, so let's, let's, hey, hey, this is church, let's be serious. There's a passage in the Old Testament, it's 1 Samuel, there's a, a man named Samuel, right? He's a prophet of God, and he's been chosen by God to go find the next king for Israel. The current king is just being a moron, okay? And he comes to this man named Jesse, Jesse has a bunch of sons, and Samuel says, I'm here to pick the next king, bring all your sons in front of me, and I'll tell you which one the God, that God chooses. And so all the sons come before, and Samuel's going, nope, 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 nope. And he it hits the end of all the sons, and he says, do you have another son? He's like, well, I do, as one is David, the little ruddy, you know, unattractive shepherd boy that's out watching sheep. And and he says, well, bring him in. And as soon as David walks in, the Lord speaks to Samuel, says, this is the king. This is the next king. So Samuel, he anoints him with oil. He has chosen to be the next king. And then this, this interesting passage uh, in, in scripture is, is landed in this story. It says that God does not look at the outward appearance of man. See, Samuel was, and Jesse were looking for the next king to be someone handsome, someone strong, someone big, someone all this and that. And he says, God does not look at the outward appearance of man, but he looks at what? He looks at the heart. And this is that story that we can spend our times adorning ourselves with outward appearance things. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying, don't merely do that. Also do the inward work of being pure in your conduct, kind to live with, gracious, friendly, etc. And this comes, Peter is addressing the, the Christian wives here, it can come through learning to subject yourself or to submit yourself to your husband. Doesn't, look, doesn't sound so bad now, does it? That the Lord would see you as precious because you choose to do this? Okay? So anyways. All right, moving on um, quickly here. All right, he gives her an example, verse five, of how some holy women, holy being just that they lived their lives that were honorable and, and befitting um, God, right? So these holy women um, who hoped in God, how they used to adorn themselves. And they used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And then he gives an example of this woman named Sarah. We'll get to that in a minute. So there's this, this idea that these women, they submitted themselves to, to their husbands, but they were hoping that God was what? 
was paying attention to them. That somehow in the middle of all of this, that they would, that God is seeing it, God is noticing everything that they're doing and that there's a, uh, a reward, if you will, or something, but that God would see them as more precious in his sight. And they hoped that God would be paying attention. This really echoes what Joe was talking about last week when he says everything that we do, we do it as unto the Lord. Doesn't matter who your boss is, doesn't matter what circumstance you're in, everything we do, we do it as unto the Lord, as if he is paying attention and he's watching. And for the record, spoiler alert, he's paying attention. He's watching. He sees it all. So do everything as unto the Lord. And then this woman, Sarah, says that she submitted, obeyed Abraham, her husband, right? And she says, and if you act like Sarah, then you too become like one of her children. Now, Sarah's an interesting character because she was married to a guy named Abraham. Abraham we call the father of the faithful. And Abraham lived in a particular part of the country, and God spoke to him. Some mysterious voice, I don't know what it looks like, sounds like, I don't know. But he calls Abraham to leave his area and go to this promised land. You've heard of the promised land before. Right? So that's one thing for Abraham, the man, to hear this message. You should go to the promised land. I, God, will take you there. That's fine. But poor Sarah is, is along for the ride. The Bible doesn't tell us she heard the voice of God. The Bible says Abraham did. And I, I'm convinced he looked wackadoodle on some days. I'm convinced, you know, try explaining that to your spouse. No, I really believe God said to me, that we're supposed to leave our family, our 401k, our Escalade. We're leaving all of that behind and going to be poor and live in a tent in the desert. And she's like, okay. Now, I'm not saying she just said, whatever, roll over. She probably said, hang on, bro. Hang on, Abe. She's like, Are you sh had you been drinking, we're going to go through the list, Right? If drinking, smoking, anything happening here. And, right, and so she, she, she weaves her way through this sort of narrative, and then she finally goes, okay, let's go. Okay. This is beautiful. It's not to say that, we, that wives are to just roll over. Oh, my goodness. Push back. By all means, push back. My, I'm, I'm the man I am today because my wife pushed back on me. And many husbands would say the same thing. But in the end, the role is to submit. You guys think that's easy. Ladies, sorry. It's terrifying for me. Sometimes I wish my wife would just make the decision. Well, you do it. You know what's best for the kids. You know? You got the motherly instinct thing. Why can't you choose? And the responsibility is mine. So it's terrifying for that. So, so we men have a huge responsibility in this too. And getting down to verse 7, oh, guys, I'm sorry I only have a minute left for guys. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Ladies, I'm sorry. I didn't plan it this way. <laughs> Likewise, and I am really going to race through this, and I do apologize. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Be compassionate and kind to them. And you show honor to the woman, and he says for two reasons. Number one, they're the weaker vessel. Number two, they're co-heirs with you in the things of God. I want you to hear this. This weaker vessel, I want you to think this is an intellectual thing. This is a spiritual thing. That, that's not what Peter's intimating here. There's something else here. If you were to go back into Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 again with the creation story where God created Adam and Eve, there's this moment when Adam is alone. He's, he's living in the world, the paradise that God has created. But he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good that a man would be alone. He needs someone, a suitable what? 
helper for him. Now we take this, this Hebrew word for helper, and I need you to hear this, that that Hebrew word is used many times in the Old Testament, and almost every time it's used, exception of here for Eve, that he creates Eve to be a helper for Adam. Every other time that it's used in the Old Testament, mostly, it's speaking about God. And it has a military connotation when God comes in and just helps Israel defeat her enemies. So this idea that the woman is just a helper to somehow make proverbial sandwiches for the husband is incorrect. It's bad theology, and it needs to go the way of all sinful things. The, the helpmate that God created, Peter continues, is a co Heir with him in the things of God. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians, I think, I'm riffing now. I think it's Galatians. He says, there is now no more um, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. All in Christ are the same. She's not your errand girl. Do you hear this? And it says, if you learn to honor her and live peacefully um, with her, knowing that she's the weaker vessel, probably just because of her size. I always think of a, a, a rough and tumble young boy with a kitten, and we have to go careful. <laughs> like, <laughs> not so rough with the kitty, please. I think there's just this, this, this delicacy that, that women have that men don't, and, and Peter's saying, don't be too rough with them. They're, they're perfect the way God made them, and they're co-heirs with you anyways, so stop thinking you have any like uh, step up on them, because that's bad thinking. And he says, men, if you do all of this, then your prayers to God won't be hindered. I'm telling you, that sounds like that's the big deal, and it is, that you want to pray to God, and you don't want your prayers to be hindered. I'm telling you, the big deal is if you treat your wife this way, your marriage is better, uh, that's the big deal. In fact, it's, it's both, truly. So um, I am out of time, and I, I wanted to save time for my friend Eva. Eva's going to come up, and we're going to take communion. If you're visiting with us here, I just want to tell you what's happening. Uh, the first Sunday of every month, we take communion. And if you're visiting with us, you are absolutely welcome to take communion with us. It's, it's grape juice and a cracker. Right? If you're from another church and your church allows that, we serve open communion. You're welcome to join with us. If you're not a Christian, you can just let those plates of crackers and the plates of juice just cross your lap. Hear me, no one will look at you differently. No one cares, honestly. Right? But if you're a believer and you're here and, and, and you want to be thankful for the things that Jesus has done for us, that he's saved us, that he's pulled us out of sin because of him, we have overcome. If you want to rejoice with us and celebrate that, you're welcome to join with us. I love you guys. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so thankful that we get to have fun at church. Is that okay? Is that okay? This, these words are timeless. These principles are timeless. They will work every time. We need to understand that. I just pray that we be thankful for our identity, that it's not found in what we do, the things that we check off on a list, but our identity is, is rooted only in Christ and his works. I'm thankful that our, our salvation is not based on the words we say or don't say, 
the things we do or don't do, the things we think about or don't think about. I'm thankful that our relationship with, with God is restored, that we are brought back into paradise with God through Jesus. That's why communion is so important to us. That's why the remembering of his broken body and shed blood is important to us. So I just want to pray for us while I'm praying. Eva's coming down. The communion team will come down. Um, you can just hang out there, okay? Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for um, joy. We thank you for these principles that we learned today. God, I pray that they would land in our hearts, that I as a husband would learn to live peaceably with my wife, that I would begin to honor her and see her as equal in your standing, that I am nothing above her. And I pray for the wives here, they would learn to, to submit themselves or to subject themselves to their husbands. And they would learn to do so. And in so doing that, God, you would see that their work is precious. You would see their heart, they, that they have hope in you, that you're taking notice of it, God. We thank you for our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.